This is 91.3 FM WLVR Bethlehem online at WLVR.org. From the Milky Studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another egg-laying episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Do you grow milkweed to help support the declining population of amazing monarch butterflies? On today's show, we'll explain the other plants you need to grow to create a complete butterfly habitat. And of course, we'll take lots of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and mysteriously mundane mollifications. So keep your ears and or eyes right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you having a butterfly way station of your own right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Yes, our winter break is over, and we're going to be here for the entire spring to help you get your new garden started. Speaking of which, and the question of the week appears, we will tell you what kind of plants that you may want to get a hold of as soon as possible to attract not only monarchs, but butterflies of every size, shape, and color. But in the meantime, we got to take your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Paula, welcome yes. to Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Hello, Mike. Hello, Paula. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. A little chilly, but not too bad. Where are you chilly? I'm in New Rochelle, New York. Oh, that's kind of up there, isn't it? Uh, yeah, a little bit. It's about, oh, 45 minutes outside of Manhattan. But north. North, yes, yes. from where you are. Okay. Well, north <laughs> North is north. I have no control over that. You're giving me too much credit. <laughs> All right. All right, what can we do for Paula in New Rochelle? I have on my patio uh, one of these tabletop planters, a table planter. It's called a veg trug. Okay. Two by eight. Um, I've had it for several years now, and I've had mediocre success with what I plant in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll plant something like parsley or some lettuces. I'll get a few sprouts, and then it all kind of just withers and dies away. And it came with one of those fabric liners, and I'm wondering if that's a problem, if it's keeping the roots too wet, or if it's just not a good thing to have in there. Should I take it out and move it all, you know, start all over again with new soil? I don't know what's going on. It should okay. be doing a lot better. Now, uh, as opposed to my raised bed on legs that I have on my patio, which came from Green's Fencing, who are apparently the biggest producer of natural cedar uh, garden beds and composters, 
Am I correct in that the trug is a V shape? Yes, yes. Yeah, because I've seen them in catalogs, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm yes. not I'm not quite sure what the shape does, um, except to uh, provide little root space at the bottom. Right. Now you say there is a liner inside. Is the yes. is the bottom of the wood open in any way? Um, the bottom, the V-shaped is made of wooden slats. I mean, they're fairly close together, but there is a little bit of space in between each slat. Okay. But the very, you know, the point of the V is not open. But it can't, water can drain out. Yes. Yes. Okay. So then this liner of which you Mm -hmm. speak is simply there to keep your soil from right. leaving the area. I see nothing yes. wrong with that. Now, uh, okay. what do you, uh, what kind of, quote, soil have you used to fill the, uh, the trug? Well, initially, I filled it with an organic potting soil, which Good. is what they recommended. Good. And then over the years, I've just added some organic compost and some worm castings, um, and that's it. Sometimes I'll freshen it up with a little bit more potting soil, but that's about it. Um, and now, I just can't. You're using bagged. You using bagged yes. compost? Yes. Okay. Yes. Do you know the brand offhand? Uh, Coast of Maine. You got all the right ingredients in there. Yeah. Um, what direction is the trug facing? Um, it gets a lot of morning sun. Good. And then probably around 1 or 2 o'clock, the sun starts to head over my house, and maybe it gets shade. But for the most part, for most of the morning, it's in the sun. Right. Um, yeah, but with your climate, you could use a little more sun. You know that. Probably, yeah. Probably. Um, when... Do you plant, and do you plant seeds or install plants? Um, It depends. Usually if I'm planting just parsley or some lettuces, I'll use seeds. Mm -hmm. And I do that, oh, gosh, maybe April, beginning of May. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if I... Nothing really grows fast enough for me. I'll sometimes find some plants of parsley or lettuces and then stick them in there as well. Um, I pick them up at my local farmer's market or something like that. And they don't do well? No, not, you know, sometimes I'll get one really good burst and then they just kind of get yellow and die. And, you know, I don't. April is much too cold for parsley in your climate. In April, you could seed lettuce directly. Um, But you have to remember that even though the plants love to grow in cold weather, the seeds need um, a reasonable amount of heat in which Mm. to sprout. So I would be watching your nighttime temperatures. And even with lettuce, I would not plant until nighttime temperatures reach the 50s. Okay. You know, for instance, you're you're planting in April. I'm warmer than you, and I'm planting in, like, late May, sometimes early June, because I'm a coward. Oh, okay. Um, How do you water? 
Um, usually with my hose or a watering can, depending on um, how dry it is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll mix in some of the uh, liquid fertilizer and um, from Neptune's Harvest. I, I like so that brand can... very much as well, yeah. Right, right. And um, that's basically all I do. I'm a little bit of a lazy gardener. I don't do too much. Um, and we've been fortunate to have enough rain where I don't have to water that often. Right. Um, that's the best. Whenever it seems dry. Right. Now, whenever it seems dry, I, I water. Now, what do you mean by seems dry? Um, if it really, the top of the soil looks a little dusty or just like it's thirsty. Do your, <laughs> That's the best way I can explain. Do your plants root at the top of the soil? Um, I haven't noticed no, that. No, no, that, that, I, was, I was being a uh, smart oh. aleck. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the top of the soil, I don't know where that, quote, rule ever got into the gardening business, but it is beyond stupid. What, okay. you're, what you want to do is, in a given week, make mm-hmm. sure that the roots of your plants get wet for at least a day. But okay. then it's critically important to let them dry out as okay. well. So you might be overwatering. It's very easy to get a mm-hmm. wooden dowel or a long chopstick or something mm-hmm. like that and stick it down into the soil. If when you bring it up, it's wet, it is not yet time to water. Water it. The top of the soil means nothing. Everything happens at the bottom where the roots are. And if the roots are submerged um, and never get a chance to dry out, you know, they'll rot. Have you you done CSI on your dead plants? Uh No, not really. I just yell at them because they're not growing, and but I should dig them up. Um, but that's a very good idea. That may be what's happening. Um, if you don't get rain, and I agree with you, most summers you and I will not have to water at all. Right, right. But get a rain gauge, and if you don't get an inch of water in any given week, then water in the morning slowly you don't okay. want to you don't want to spray the plants for 5 minutes and go back inside that doesn't help but okay. if you take the nozzle off just lay the hose in the trug um let it drip 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 and um and that should be it for another week okay that that should be that sounds like what's going That's on. That's the because, only thing I can think of other than yeah. just not enough sun. Although yeah, I I I think you don't get enough sun, but you seem mm-hmm. to be doing everything else correctly. So Okay. Let's get well, I may not be watering correctly. I think I'm Nobody know, waters again, correctly. Uh, I dump it all on and I walk away. Yeah. So I really should be drip drip dripping and doing it in the morning and yes. not that often. Exactly. Okay. I, 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 that, that may be the issue. Um, I'm going to give that a try. Okay, great. All right, good luck to you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two 
888-492-9444. Philip, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, hello, Mike. How you doing? I'm just ducky, Phil. How are you? I am ducky as well. All right. And where is Phil ducky? I live in northern Illinois, um, just south of Rockford, Illinois. Okay, very good. Um, always nice to hear from the heartland. What can we do you for? Yeah, uh, reason I was calling, I had a question about overwintering peppers. Um, I've been overwintering peppers now for three years, based on your advice. Right. And um, I still can't stop buying new peppers every spring. Right. So at, at this point, I've got peppers as tall as four feet and some as short as six inches. And uh, my question was, am I able to perhaps prune some of the taller ones? So I can fit more pepper plants under the same row of lights um, and get the intensity on on all of the main sets of leaves on each plant. I think you're going in the wrong direction. Now, I have a lot of tall pepper plants. They're doing really well so far this winter. And I have, like you, some peppers that I'd started just this season, and they're not very tall. So what I do is the pots with the tall ones are generally big enough to arrange the little ones on top of the soil. Or you simply create um, a berm, so to speak, and you put wood blocks or bricks or books or, you know, old car batteries underneath the short ones to get them up closer to the light. Or... If you have these new deformable LED lights, what they call garage lights, you can hang mm-hmm. you can hang one over the tall plant uh, plants, and you can hang another one. They generally come in pairs, uh, lower for the small ones. But I would I would not prune them. Um, yeah, I I just I'm not really in favor of pruning most of the time. And, you know, if you're doing this correctly and you've got good light and it's warm in there, you're getting flowers, right? You're getting peppers. Yeah, yeah, I am getting flowers still. Uh, been, they've been inside for well over a month now and still getting some production, which oh, is better yeah. than my prior years. Oh, um, again, if it's warm enough, which means, you know, 60 degrees or over, and if you've mm-hmm. got the right lights and these deformable, I don't know why they're calling them that, LEDs, these so-called garage lights, um, are very inexpensive to buy and to run. Um, this is the first full year I've been experimenting with them, and the peppers are responding beautifully. I've also got basil growing out there, salad greens, which I never did well with over winter inside before. And I really recommend them. And rather than decrease your yield, which is never a good idea, if you have as many as I do, you can be picking ripe peppers every day. Again, as long as the mm-hmm. temperature is controlled where they are. And um, I see no reason to reduce the number of peppers you can have over the winter. If you do this right, I, I get a fresh ripe pepper every day. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can definitely do that too. How do you uh, suspend the, those garage lights then over your plants? You get what's called a trouble light. Um, that is a long cord with a, um, a regular uh, light bulb adapter at, at the business end. And you can, you know, the deformable lights fit right in there. And then you just use hooks or something uh, to move them up or down to the height that you like. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. Uh, I've, I've been using some of those in other spots in my house just for lighting. Mm-hmm. So uh, I will definitely look into that. That would be nice. Yeah. No, it sounds like you're doing great. Um, if you've, and You have to admit, after two or three years, the trunks of those peppers look like little trees, right? Yeah, my neighbor has asked what what kind of trees I had outside uh, this year, and I was like, yeah. oh, those are my peppers. So, yeah, yeah, they're doing really well. <laughs> well, keep up the good work. Uh, you don't sound like you need any help at all. All right, all right, fair enough. I was overthinking it. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Good luck to you. Bye bye. Yep. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and continue to repeat my warning that interest in gardening has been surging beyond belief, and you need to order plants and seeds now or risk getting shut out. But don't go trolling for your tomatoes just yet, because we'll be right back with a lengthy list of the plants that will transform your yard into a butterfly haven. Plus your fabulous phone calls. I'm your fabulous Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and coming up later on, we will give you the list of all time to attract butterflies, both with host plants, those are the ones where the caterpillars eat to the ground, and pollen and nectar plants, which are the ones that butterflies eat, use, what do you what do you do when your proboscis is going in there anyway? Um, and that'll feed them in the summertime. It's especially important with monarchs who got like a two thousand mile trip in front of them. Okay, but back to your fabulous phone calls right now. Ryan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, thanks for being had, Ryan. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing well. Um, calling in today uh, with maybe a bit of an interesting story. I think your your viewers might uh, find find a little bit incredible. So my wife and I run a small farm. Uh, we're on eight and a half acres in Chester County, Pennsylvania. Oh, horse um, country. Beautiful soil. Beautiful horse country. That's right. Um, 
<laughs> Maybe those are... two things are connected. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be. It could very well be. Um, so we, we jokingly refer to ourselves uh, as the world's most controversial flower farm. Okay. Um, so we because you only grow tomatoes? What? You know. No, no tomatoes. No tomatoes yet. We started um, essentially last year was our first you know, year of setting everything up and mm-hmm. running irrigation and fencing and uh, doing all of the infrastructure work and starting to put plants in the ground. Mm-hmm. And then we opened uh, you know, to the public this past May, May mm-hmm. of 2021. Um, and we live on the property. We live you know, there's two Two parcels. So we live on one parcel is our house. The other parcel had a kind of an abandoned barn that was dilapidated. We spent years fixing that up um, and making improvements to the property okay. you know, to, to um, pursue this this goal. And uh, then kind of had a, a you know a, a number of unexpected challenges. You know the there's been a few limited number of people who are just hell bent on making life as miserable as possible. Oh, you're talking um, about your local zoning board. That the, the, there's been, you know, issues with township and issues with neighbors who we kind of have some influence in the township. Uh oh, um, yeah, you're doomed. And we're caught in the middle of it, and it's just so you, you never know, applied. Is, you never applied for a business permit or anything like that. So we did, um, actually. So we had submitted back, you know, before we opened, just for a, like a zoning opinion letter to kind of confirm that hey, we want to have flower sales and workshops um, on the property as is permitted. You know, we're we're zoned for agriculture, so we're okay. in the agricultural district of our township. So there's there's really no better place for something like but this. But was yeah, the permission granted? It was. So we received a response to that zoning opinion letter saying, you know, yes, you are permitted to host sales and workshops, provided you meet certain criteria. So we worked for a few months to meet those criteria. Right. Um, and I'll give you an example. It was, you know, eight, installing ADA accessible parking. So that oh yeah, you, you know, got any, to. Any guests like that could, could have the ADA parking and access the barn, which is all ADA compliant as well. And Okay, don't worry about that so much. Tell me what's going on. <laughs> so we had our first sale, which was Mother's Day, so big flower holiday. You know, we're closed right. for Valentine's Day, but we, we made Mother's Day count. And um, there were, you know, just kind of disturbances from a few neighbors. You know, one of the neighbors pulled up to our driveway and block the entrance to the driveway so that cars couldn't pull in. Oh, that's then, kind of uh, not so passive aggressive. Not, not at all. Um, came onto the property, you know, was asked to leave a number of times, refused to do so, mm-hmm. stormed into the building, you know, just making a general scene. Um, and so oh, man. the zoning officer actually was invited, who's a good guy, and he came out to the property. He was on site that day, and he told our neighbors on video uh, hey, this is this is permitted in this district. You know, this right. is permitted in the agricultural district, and they, they're allowed to grow and sell whatever they produce on their property. You know, they're they're allowed to sell it on site, Pennsylvania okay. to Farm Act. Um, so you would think that would be the end of it. No, right? no, no. It sounds like toxic neighbors. 
which is the hardest problem to solve in organic growing. It, it is. Um, it's, it's the toughest nut to crack. But So you'd think that would be the end of it. But then five days later, mm-hmm. after the fact, we get a citation in the mail. Mm-hmm. So the citation came from the zoning department. And it had never been specified before. Um, well, I get, you know, they granted you workshops, which I think maybe nobody will object to. But was it specified? Well, but was it specified that um, you could sell product? It was, yeah. So it was specified that, you know, in accordance with Pennsylvania law that provided 50% or more of the sales were from grown on-site products. Oh, okay, um, good. The citation, was there a fine or anything attached? No fine with that citation, um, other than there's a $1,000 to appeal it, and so our appeal is still pending. That's nonsense. Our, our, They're not allowed to charge you to appeal. Not before a zoning really? board. No, no. I, I, it sounds tremendously unconstitutional, illegal, and morally objectionable to me. Now, this guy's obviously not going to go away. So have mm-hmm. you considered getting, and he's he's really the bad guy here. He's the only one who's really complaining. There are a few that have been kind of riled up. In general, terrific community support. You know, we've had a, a met a ton of our great neighbors in the process and Nobody on the other side has gone to his extreme lengths. Not that extreme. Because I would suggest you get a protection from abuse order, um, ordering him to keep like 500 feet away, um, don't trespass again, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to suggest, have you considered selling your wares at a farmer's market or a local natural food store? Instead of, I presume the the objection is to the traffic. Right. But so we'll probably end up doing both just because we have enough production for next year Mm -hmm. to sell at farmer's markets. And, you know, we will probably need multiple locations. Um, And really, we are sensitive to the traffic. We live on the street as well. We're open for four hours a week just during the growing season. Mm -hmm. And this is a, a lot that would otherwise, you know, if it wasn't used as a flower farm, or a farm in general, it would otherwise just be another house. So mm-hmm. that's something that would be, I, I, I always make the argument that I also live next door, and I, I think a house would be a lot more impactful. What you're going to have to do is demand uh, the zoning board um, somehow resolve these conflicting um, agreements and then non-agreements I honestly think uh, the one guy leading the charge here um, uh, could even wind up being dangerous the way you've described him. So I would get a protection order against him mm-hmm. and um, just keep cultivating the goodwill of the neighbors who like what you're doing. Um, either circulate a petition that you can then present to the township or have them write individual short letters of support. And it sounds like you're legally in the right, uh, but these things mm-hmm. happen. Neighbors think, well, I don't know what these kind of people think, uh, but you know, perhaps if you could go back in time, 
uh, you would send out little postcards to everybody saying you were going to open this business. But it doesn't sound like you just rammed into this without permits or anything. So, um, you know, out in your area, which is very wealthy, you should be able mm-hmm. to find a great, um, a great lawyer who will work without charge, I can't, uh, pro bono on something mm-hmm. like this, somebody who's really into agriculture and organics. And, I, I, you know, you should be able to get the zoning board to uphold their original permitting process. Um, but again, you know, always have a plan B. And for me, that would be farmers markets, local natural food stores, um, perhaps another location that doesn't involve your driveway that's maybe set up a little business in town, especially if there's any mm-hmm. vacant ones. And because uh, the legal process could drag on and on. But you want to, I was going to say confront. I think you really do have to confront the, the head zoning officer and say, are we still at least allowed to have the workshops? And at the same time, they've go, said no. Okay. They've said no workshops. Uh, they, they stripped away our ability to do that as well. Okay. All right. Well, uh, are you familiar with NOFA, the Natural Organic Farmers Association? I'm not. Okay. N-O-F-O? N-O-F-O? Uh, Association starts oh, with an A, not no. <laughs> so NOFA, N-O-F-A, National Organic Farmers Association. There is a NOFA PA that has a great uh, week-long um, series of lectures and things like that. January, uh, January. <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> I, I think it's in early March. It might be in February. And it's up around the state college area uh, traditionally. So, but I would go to NOFA PA and uh, see if they have a consultant on hand who can help you work this out. Okay. Okay. I wish I could do more, but uh, we're out of time. (laughs) All right. Good luck, man. We appreciate all of your your gardening advice along the way and appreciate the legal advice as well today. Keep us posted. A lot of people are sending good wishes to you right now. I appreciate it, Mike. All right. You take care, man. Good luck. Bye-bye. Andy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you for having me. I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. All right. What can we do you for, Andy? So um, two years ago, I put in my first raised bed, and mm-hmm. I was really happy with the results. And so I put in two more raised beds this year. Mm-hmm. And the two raised beds I put in this year performed really, really well. But the raised bed from the year before, my plants literally like were emaciated and dying. I had to transplant them out of that first raised bed and into the second two. 
And so now that I'm at the end of the harvest season and I have my beds empty, I wanted to know what I really needed to do to prepare them for next spring so that all three were productive. Okay, let's start with what did you fill them with? The first year I used uh, just a hodgepodge of organic uh, dirts and, um, and fertilizers. And the second year I bought two square tons of um, zoo compost from our local door, and that really worked out fantastic. Zoo compost? Yeah, we have from the Oklahoma City Zoo. It's just compost that they collect from the zoo. I forget which uh, zoo uh, was one of the first to actually brand theirs. They called it Zoo Do. Oh, that's fantastic. And it was almost all elephant poop, which is highly fibrous. I uh, couldn't tell you. It was a pretty good mix match of, uh, of dirts, and it wasn't hot. And um, I pretty much took my seedlings straight into it, and they, they did just fine. That's great. Um, so you know your mistake. You just told me. Oh, what is it? I don't need to be Columbo with you. Um, the first bed was poorly prepared. You know, you can use organic fertilizers if you like, but you must rely on fertile soil. There's an old line in my business. Feed your soil, not your plants. So I think you just need uh, another load of Zudu. People misunderstand the concept of manures. It's not just the stuff the animal was done with. It's always mixed with bedding. There's always straw to keep the floors clean or, you know, something like that. So the bedding is dry brown material and the manure is wet green material, no matter what color it is. And that's a perfect combination to make good compost. And I would think there wouldn't be a lot of bird manure or horse manure in there. So it wouldn't be overly high in nitrogen. It sounds like the perfect combination. So working backwards, your two newer beds, um, yes, I would add a fresh inch or two inches of uh, your Zudu. Okay. Yeah, it was a real hodgepodge of different bags of stuff until I got to the full height of my bed because I made a really deep bed. It ends up, it ended up being uh, about um, 16 inches deep. Oh, well, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Um, I would get rid of at least half of it and spread it around other plants or give it to okay. some unsuspecting person walking by. And then uh, don't mix it up, but add um, fresh um, zoo manure on top. Right on the top. And don't mix it in just like. No, no, you don't want to start. Replace that level. Okay. You're going to start having seed, uh, weed seed problems if you do that. All right. Wonderful. I really appreciate your time. I enjoy listening to your show. Thank you for your help. Thank you. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will be hosting a Zoom presentation on natural lawn care for Chester County on Thursday, February 24th at 7 p.m. And on Saturday, February 26th, I will Zoom again to deliver the keynote address and present a workshop for Rutgers Home Gardening School. Details to be detailed in the next show. But don't go charging up your computer just yet, because we'll be right back with Butterfly Besties and more of your fabulous phone calls. 
I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Chile, Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I am still your host, believe it or not, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. Just a little bit, we'll be naming a passel of plants that will bring beautiful butterflies to your garden, both to lay their eggs and get their caterpillars ready, and then to come back and feed on your pollen and nectar plants. You're going to want to make a list, or look it up later at Gardens Alive, that's up to you. Um, But before that, more of your fabulous phone calls. Pam, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. What can we do you for? Well, we uh, unfortunately were hit by the tornado that was a result of Hurricane Ida. And we had many trees, including black walnuts, which I wasn't too upset about, uprooted. The trees came down, and we cut down a number of dead ash trees. We have a number of stumps, as you would guess. Mm -hmm. We've pulled out some of the stumps. What would be the best option, or what are the options? Okay, so... Your options, you can have the stump ground down. Then you can't grow anything there because there's this giant plug in the ground that won't degrade for 20 or 30 years. Or you can have the stump ground down to a comfortable height, cover it with containers of plants that you like to see so that everything is working out together. Uh, But grinding is okay if you don't care about something regrowing there. But I always recommend that people uh, consider the stump as a starting place uh, for a nice elevated container garden. Okay. And as far as planting grass seed over where the stump was ground, is that doable? No, it won't work. Oh, really? Okay. No, only where you actually pulled the stumps out, and they're a bear to get rid of. They are, yeah. Okay. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate all your help. As inevitably occurs at this point in the show, it is time for the question of the week. Submitted for your approval, a battleship full of butterfly plants. As you may recall, in our last thrilling episode, we explained that the dreaded milkweed seed bug was not an enemy of monarch butterfly breeding, but instead was an asset. This week, it's a rundown of the best milkweeds and other butterfly plants for your garden. Thanks to the legendary Ron Ryle of Pottstown, PA, a member of Monarch Watch, a nationwide group of citizen scientists, official monarch tagger, and a wonderful example of how you can see these wonders of nature, help care for their young, and fuel them up for their seemingly impossible journey to overwintering sites in Mexico, 
with just an intensive planting in a small backyard. First, the basics. Eastern monarchs spend their summers in the U.S. and Canada and then retreat back to their breeding grounds not far from Mexico City. There, they hibernate together in massive numbers in the trees, often completely camouflaging the entire tree with their famous colors. It is during this time that natives and scientists look for tags that have been attached to a specific spot on one of the butterfly's wings. These small disks reveal who tagged it, the date it was tagged, and the city in which it was tagged. I was honored to actually tag and release a few at Ron's home in Pottstown and can assure you that these butterflies have sturdy wings. During their time in Mexico, the monarchs mate and then begin the journey back north to their feeding grounds. The first group stopping where it's warm down south, the second group waiting till it's just as warm in the mid-Atlantic, and the final show-off group flying all the way up to Canada. Each and every female looking for a milkweed plant on which to deposit her eggs. The eggs hatch quickly, distinctive-looking caterpillars emerge, and start chowing down on the milkweed, gaining a little more invulnerability every day from naturally occurring compounds that exist in the milkweed until their colors make it obvious they would be a lousy or maybe even toxic meal. Then they spin a very distinctive and beautiful chrysalis inside of which they will finish a complete metamorphosis and finally emerge as impressively colored adults. After a couple of hours drying their wings in the sun, they will flutter off their need for milkweed over. From here on in, they feed on pollen and nectar. That means that growing milkweed is only half of achieving a monarch-friendly landscape. But first, let's discuss those milkweeds. Here are three that are native to Pennsylvania and surrounding regions. Listeners and or viewers, viewers? Do we have fewer viewers? I hope not. In other regions should consult their state extension service and or monarchwatch.org for the best varieties for their specific region. Okay? First up is common milkweed. It has big pink flowers and attracted the most monarchs by far in Ron's garden. Swamp milkweed has smaller pink flowers, and despite its name, does not need to grow in a swamp. It simply prefers wet areas. Tuberosa, a.k.a. butterfly weed, and either railroad annie or auntie, named for its legendary ability to grow next to, around, and between railroad tracks. Like the early bluesmen, this plant followed the rails. But man does not live by monarchs alone. Here are the other host plants Ron grows in his butterfly backyard and the butterflies they attract. 
number one, for no good reason or another, are pawpaw trees, which not only deliver that delectable, giant-sized, fragrant tropical fruit in the summertime, but also attract the zebra swallowtail. Dutchman's pipe vine attracts the pipe vine swallowtail. Come on, did you need me to tell you that? Parsley, an excellent butterfly host plant and feeding plant, attracts the eastern black swallowtail. Hops attracts the eastern comma butterfly in such quantities that the plant is also known as the hop merchant. Hog peanut, which I really don't think I'd ever heard of before, is a string bean-like vine that attracts the silver spotted skipper. Fennel, another great plant overall for butterflies and pollinators, attracts the eastern black swallowtail. Field thistle attracts the painted lady, of which we will say no more. Spice bush trees attract the spice book swallowtail. Passion flower attracts the variegated fritillary. Red cedar, those big trees, will bring in the olive hair streak. Senna which, I mean, you can grow it for the butterflies or color your hair, um, but if you grow it, you might see the cloudless sulfur or the sleepy orange. The plant rue, gravolens, a.k.a. herb of grace, attracts the giant swallowtail. Turtlehead, a much-beloved native plant, brings in the Baltimore checker spot. Tulip poplar, another huge tree, brings in the tiger swallowtail. All right, now we're going to get a little weird on you. Gas plant, also known as burning bush, because like the biblical and unrelated plant, it produces so much of a volatile lemon-scented oil that it can actually burst into flame during relentless hot and sunny days, but without harming the plant. Hmm. You know, maybe we should revisit this biblical angle. As we are told in the book of Exodus, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Exodus 3. Anyway, it attracts the giant black swallowtail. Ron's notes on this topic. These host plants are more important than the nectar plants to follow, as each butterfly depends on specific plants on which to lay its eggs. For example, if the pipe vine swallowtail cannot find Dutchman's pipe vine to lay its eggs on, the butterfly could become extinct. Monarchs, of course, depend on milkweed. No milkweed no monarchs. Ron says, I hope you will join me in conserving butterflies. Plant host plants to save the butterflies. 
Ah, but those are just the essential elements of the butterfly nursery. Once grown to adulthood, monarchs and other really cool butterflies depend on plants that provide lots of high-quality pollen and nectar. Here is a partial list of Ron's best plants for those adults. Number one will always be Tithonia, Mexican sunflower. We've talked about this fabulous plant many times on the show, and it is a huge source of pollen and nectar for monarchs on their way back down to Mexico. Verbena, Budalia, which we all call butterfly bush, blue mist, common milkweed, swamp milkweed, field thistle, state fair mix zinnia, butterfly weed, which we talked about before, that's tuberosa, late flowering bone set, purple cone flower, and mountain mint, the winner by a wide margin in Ron's pocket garden. And finally, a closing note from me. First, use no pesticides, or you'll wind up killing the creatures you're trying to help. And two, do not attract birds anywhere near your butterfly habitat. Butterflies are a favorite food of many birds, so take those seed feeders down. Well, that sure was an exhaustive list of plants that benefit butterflies now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail with links to the legendary monarchwatch.org, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes! My producer is threatening to maim my mountain mint if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your emails, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Always please include your location, even if you think we know who you are. We actually have no idea. You'll find all of this contact information at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to hundreds of your garden questions, audio of this show, video show, and our Sound of Angels ah, podcast. Nice job, guys. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a fly entered his drawing room causing him to utter the fateful words, criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot. 
I will dress like this fly to terrorize them. Unfortunately, they were not terrorized and kept swatting him away. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and stay current with what's happening with the show and our gardens and everything every day at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Teresa Radke is our profound princess of priceless production. Our lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our director of direction, the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. He still wants to take off until spring. Zach the Takwisneski is in the house, as is or are Jacob Morris, Carlin Canfield, and the rest of the usual gang of idiots, including yours truly. Our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, denies that he was recently seen refusing to leave the pickup window at Wendy's until he had finished his triple bacon cheeseburger. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and my guilty pleasure of choice is a perfectly made Philadelphia cheesesteak on an Amoroso's roll, smothered with sauteed onions and provolone cheese, and no sauce. What is it with you people ruining your cheesesteaks with tomato sauce? It's chopped up meat sauteed onions, and provolone cheese on the correct roll. You can certainly say got that roll if you prefer less bread, but hold the sauce. You hear me? No sauce. Thank you. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I guarantee I will not change my opinion by the time I see you again next week. I stare out the window and dream of spring. And while we gardeners do our share of staring, we're also doing our share of preparing. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll educate you about the tools and seeds you'll need to have in hand.